Well, hello and welcome to episode 484 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Nev and it's going to be a very packed show this week because we've got some uh, extra stuff in this week due to some a little difficulty that we had last week, which we'll talk about shortly, I'm sure. Uh, but in this week's show, we have a discussion about drawing Christmas trees in the air passport expiry dates what do they actually mean i've got a lot to say on that subject as you can imagine uh, and a gentleman flies to the u.s without a ticket boarding pass or passport uh, in the military the u.s air force is offering a six hundred thousand dollar bonus to encourage pilots to stay with the outfit for longer that's not bad is it uh, join me this week uh, back in the master suite studio is matt uh, with a a repaired computer i hope a fixed studio all being well yes fingers crossed uh yes i think it's all working testing testing one two can anyone hear me yes earth calling me was it Mort calling mindy no or earth calling Mort. so what went wrong last week i mean apart from the fact we uh, had another situation where none of us could turn up for the show uh but then we had a bit of a technical moment just before that as well. we did yes we had a, we had a hard drive fail basically which meant that all of the content um although stored on a network drive was essentially unavailable because it, it runs from a mirrored copy on the local machine to allow for network dropouts and things like that and basically that hard drive had um, gone nah i'm all right thanks um and uh, yeah so we put a new one in that's a technical term right yeah <laughs> still now we know so that, that's the answer to your question that many people were asking us why we weren't on air last week that, Indeed. Was, that was the reason so uh, Indeed. uh also joining us this week uh, nick is very kindly joining us hello nick how are you hi nev good to be back yeah i thought uh, it'd be nice to pop in and see everyone for the uh, the last live show for this year well it is yeah, christmas excellent. isn't it yes <laughs> and how's your week been what have you been up to oh um definitely doing lots of work and not spending more time than i should have been doing show notes because it was the last week of the year at work and i didn't really feel like doing work right okay fair enough there's also some uh distractions going on Ooh, from Manchester airport uh yesterday uh with uh, simon lowe's uh, coverage and uh, airliners uh, coverage of the um rather sporty conditions at manchester airport. sporty is a i love very that work um, <laughs> Um, I must say, with the 23 or 24 go-arounds they had. How yes. many? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. It was quite fun watching some of the smaller aircraft. There were quite a few ATRs coming in, and it was quite interesting seeing them bobbing around. And the the kind of the foreshortened image where the, the camera was sort of facing the, the aircraft head-on, oh. it made them look like they were bobbing around like a child's kite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, wow. That oh, wow, I love that. that yeah. Yeah, somebody's going to do some work, apparently. Anyway, uh, also, uh, at very short notice, but we are delighted that she has been able to join us, is Dr. Steph. <gasps> How are you? I'm good. Hello, Nev and Matt and Nick. Good to see you all. Um, yeah, you know, I thought of it. I've had a lot of difficulty actually um, making the scheduling work out to turn up on um, the podcast that I'm usually on weekly in the past couple of weeks. So um, fortunately, the timing worked out well for me to be here today. So, I know. I th um, uh, John will uh, no doubt tell us. In a I think this is your only appearance this year, just in time for probably so. <laughs> I, yeah, I've I've been. Uh, yeah, this has been a crazy year, just in terms of yeah. being very busy with work for me. So I've not had a lot of no. I bet. Um, 
spare time even in the afternoons and evenings so um no it's nice to be here and glad to be with you all for the holidays indeed very de very decent of you very good to have you on it's uh, it's been a, a real pleasure thank you very much uh yeah it's uh nev what about you what have you been up to this week uh well did a quick trip up to edinburgh just for the day uh to the edinburgh christmas market uh which was oh. very nice indeed and just while we went when we did i think otherwise we wouldn't have made it back because the weather was so bad. But when we, we got there, at least, the, you know, it wasn't raining, but it was just quite windy. Uh, but that's always a good uh, a good trip out there. And, uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. Um, so that was nice. And as Mrs. Nev has now retired from work this week, Ooh. it was her last day yesterday. So uh, hopefully we'll have more time to be able to do that kind of thing which would be nice. Uh, you just need to retire as well now. So uh, yes, that, there is the next, that. That's the next challenge. Yes, I'm uh, <laughs> about a year and two months behind us. So, Not uh, that anyone's counting. You're doing a no, Captain I'm, Nick here, aren't you? This is <laughs> Well, I've, I've got the app, obviously. <laughs> of course. Um, of course you've got what the you app. need, isn't it? Why wouldn't yeah. you have? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any plans for your last day, Nev? <laughs> uh, well, I, well I, funnily enough, I have actually got some plans for oh, my last you? day at work, actually. Uh, which is, <laughs> Does it like, involve an amnesty? of some description saying what you really wanted to say <laughs> no I, I think you know it's always best to keep hr on side true uh, true true, Steph, true as, yeah. as you'll know uh, <laughs> yes. even on your last day even especially on your last day. yeah i i cannot promise that on my very last ever day of actual work that i i could be so well behaved frankly quite i've got a well. lot of uh, pent-up call call center anger and aggression shall we say that who of which somebody will get on my last day now they, i don't know whether you have this in the us uh, steph but a lot of mm. uh, companies in the uk now do exit interviews oh. so uh on your last day you are allowed to have a, a chat with hr or your manager mm. and it's actually logged uh, and it's generally designed to be uh, useful information you know things that Feedback. you Things that things that things have gone well or not so well or improvements. And, yeah, that, um, that exists here, and it exists even um, you know not if someone's necessarily retiring but just moving on to a new position somewhere. Oftentimes, there will be an exit interview again for feedback purposes, so they can improve things moving forward. Yeah, nice. So, uh, um, but um, yeah, so uh, she's now a lady of extreme leisure, I would imagine. So. Uh, uh, she can either be my unpaid assistant for the next uh, 14 months or uh, she'll probably be doing some far more useful things on her own, I'm sure. But uh, there we go. Anyway, so back to the show. Good, well, good, good luck with that discussion. That's well, what yes, we're not, we're not going there. We are, I am not going there. Um, yes, so back to the show. We have got a lot of people in the chat room, as always. Uh, Mazouz, uh, Richard Adams. Uh, Hobby Time is in there. Uh, Lee Davis, of course. Thank you, Lee, for joining. Uh, Mazouz. Uh, Dirk S is in there. Um, uh, Bill's in there as well. And I saw Pilot Pip in there too. And Mark Priestley. And uh, Alpha Juliet as well. We know who that is, don't we? So, uh, yes, very good indeed. And thanks for joining us. As always, lots to pack into the show tonight. Uh, so, uh, if you're ready to go, Matt, I am. Let's go for the commercial news.
Now, I always find that uh, drawing things uh, in the air, which has been a bit of a thing over the last couple of years, so, <laughs> sometimes is quite amusing, but um, it will, uh, possibly irritating as well. Mm. And uh, Matt, you've, you've got the first story about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit on the fence with this one, I have to say. I mean, I, I love, I love, let me read the story and we'll, and we'll talk about what we're on about, shall we? So the headline is A Brief History of Drawing Christmas Trees with Airplanes. It's from Flight Radar 24, as you might well imagine. Uh, this feels like a good one to tick off this week. It's an old article from Flight Radar 24 dating back to 2017, and it's about drawing sky art. We've seen some infamous incidents of pilots drawing rude shapes in the air. And and airlines doing commemorative patterns to signify a special achievement. However, with Christmas right around the corner, we thought we'd look at this old story from Flight Radar 24, which details attempts to draw Christmas trees. But how does it work? Well, I'm sure we're all familiar with aircraft tracking websites like FR24, which use returns from aircraft, from aircraft transponders to plot the track that an aircraft makes as it progresses along its journey. Sometimes when outside of radar range, such as over large stretches of ocean, aircraft tracking is taken over by satellite, allowing for virtually real-time tracking of aircraft. This has become a widely used tool, not just for av geeks like us, but with real applications for ground-based personnel, such as allowing airside crews to anticipate the arrival of aircraft, allocate resources for uh, marshalling. I thought that said marshmallowing for a moment. Sorry. Clearly I want something sweet. Uh, and unloading. However, in this instance, we're not looking at rude shapes. We'll leave that to PTUK after hours, apparently. Uh, but uh, Skyart Christmas trees with Airbus's recent festive A3. This was uh, 2017, I think this article was back from. Uh, recent festive A380 test flights. Uh, they revisit the Christmas trees past oh, and a few over Christmas related drawings. Uh, now, I mean, it's mostly pictures. I'm going to pop them up, uh, and if you uh, want to take a look at them, uh, then uh, pop yourself over on YouTube would be my recommendation to to have a look at the pictures that we're now about to share. Uh, Nev, I'm going to be slightly controversial here. I don't know how you feel about it, um, but I, I, this doesn't do anything for me at all, to be honest with you, and every fibre of my being is going... We're all being shouted at for our carbon footprint and all this kind of thing. How is this a good use of anyone's time, money and or resources? It's a, a difficult shout, isn't it? Because uh, obviously, on the one hand, it's uh, you know highly creative and, and all the rest of it. But, is it, uh, though? <laughs> well, some people think it is. OK. I'm not saying right. that's what I think, but some people, <laughs> some people think that. Uh, but uh, no, it's all very clever with all the uh, ADS-B data, obviously, and other things that are now possible. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it, you need a bit of juice uh, if you're going to do that. Uh, clearly, um, so. indeed, <laughs> it's just like, and I'm not sorry. I'm not trying to be all Grinchy. I do. I do sound like I'm being a proper full-on Christmas Grinch, and I need to borrow Steph's hat. I think if I'm going to be that, but uh, it's just like Get the green one here. Yeah, um. absolutely. Um, but uh, Steph, I mean, what, I mean, what's your? Am, am I just being a miserable old fart? Is that essentially well, what I am? <laughs> so, so my take is, you know, especially here where there's a lot of flight training happening, um, it's a good way to do some um, time building and perhaps a cross-country flight if you're looking for certain types of um, flight requirements and hours that you're trying to meet, and you get to have a little fun with it along the way and spread some cheer. So. So yes, it. is your polite way. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
stop being a miserable what's-it. That's essentially <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. Now, go on, Nick. Well, there was me thinking I'd, you know, drop in a nice sort of festive, <laughs> cheerful and then along Christmassy came the story. <laughs> and then there was Mr. Smith yes. wing all over my bonfire. Yes, so yes, never mind. Get off my land. Yes, meld wine. Fireworks went boom. Yes. Yeah, never mind. Yes, never mind. Well well done, Nick. Better luck next <laughs> Moving year. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Better luck next year. Nev, I think you've got the next story. Yes. <laughs> now, this is an interesting one, uh, and it's on uh, airlive.net. And uh, we've had another volcanic eruption from Iceland, and you may have uh, seen this in the news over the last couple of days, but, in fact, Keflavik uh, Airport is only 10 kilometres uh, from the volcanic eruption. Uh, and and uh, the volcano in southwest Iceland uh, released lava and smoke into the air after week weeks of increased seismic activity. Well, for six weeks, the Icelandic authorities have been monitoring the seismic activity close to Keflavik Airport, uh, which is obviously a major North Atlantic aviation hub. And, um, well... In fact, uh, a volcanic eruption starting on the uh, Reckonius uh, Peninsula. Uh, the eruption is about 3.5 kilometres long, close to Sundsnuka, uh, north of Grindavik, uh, where the evacuation orders have been in place. Um, the eruption has not had any effect on flights to and from Iceland, and even though the airport is close to the eruption, the last flight to depart from Keflavik Airport Following the eruption was an EasyJet departure to Manchester, which took off at 1.35 in the morning, which is over five hours late, uh, and arrived into Manchester at 4am. Passengers were told by EasyJet, we're sorry that your flight has been delayed. This is because of volcanic activity in Keflavik. Uh, which is causing restrictions to the areas in which your aircraft are permitted to fly. The safety of you and our crew is our highest priority, and we thank you for your patience. Um, now, um, the, this eruption is unlikely to lead to the same disruption caused by the other volcano in 2010, and Matt has been practising how to say that name. I don't know whether you've uh, perfected that uh, volcano name, uh, Matt, yet? No, he's not. OK, well, uh, he'll come back to that in a minute. But because uh, uh, the earlier explosion led to ash particles being pushed up into the atmosphere, which then spread across Western Europe. Uh, the incident grounded planes for several weeks because of concerns that the particles would damage uh, uh, jet engines, making travel unsafe. Um, and um, what they're saying at the moment is that uh, this won't happen now because the 2010 eruption occurred under a glacier, which is not the case uh, this time around. Uh, Professor Matthew Watson of uh, Volcanoes and Climate at the University of Bristol said it's not unlikely, sorry, it is, it is unlikely but not impossible that there may be some impact on air travel. Um, and the dangers uh, posed by the eruption on uh, the Icelandic's, sorry, Iceland's peninsula are local, according to volcanologist Dr Sam Mitchell of Bristol University. It's completely valid for people to think back to 2010 and the impact caused across Europe, especially to air travel, uh, he says. Uh, Dr Mitchell said that the greatest risk to people living locally was from 
volcanic fumes, which, although not dangerous, would be uncomfortable, especially to those with respiratory problems. Uh, Dr. Matt Genge, uh, who's a senior lecturer in uh, Earth and Planetary Science at Imperial College London, said it was unclear how this eruption would progress. Uh, the eruption rate at these uh, fractures is large, uh, and 100 cubic metres of lava per second, he said. The lava appears to be hot and fluid, making the lava flows very mobile, uh, and dangerous to approach. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, just as well we've not got the same situation as in 2010, because that the disruption that that caused was phenomenal, uh, both from uh, the US point of view and the European point of view as well. It, in fact, it, it you know it was one of the biggest disruptions uh, we've ever seen. I, I would say. Um, I, I so, guess. I guess also, of course, we didn't have the ice caps to be involved. Hence, the not the slightly less explosive you know, rising massively up in the air type sort of thing with the with the sort of like the ash and all that, wasn't it? Because it was so explosive, the explosion with the um, uh, eruption back in, was it 2010, I think, which I, yeah. where, I, where I'm not even going to attempt to uh, Well, I, I uh, thought it. I thought you'd been practising the, the name of that volcano, actually. No, no I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had some assistance with you in the studio too. Uh, uh, I, I, I do have, uh, as long as producer John doesn't say anything uh, for just a moment, I, I can try it. Hang on, give me a, give me a second. Let me, let me see if this. I, th I believe the, uh, and I've been practicing this. Brace yourself. I believe the uh, mountain or the 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 uh, volcano is called Eyjafjallajökull. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I thought. <laughs> exactly what I thought. I can't believe that was 2010. It doesn't seem like it was. That I long know. Ago. I remember that so vividly. Right. I, I mean, were you doing any Nev? Were you doing any flying at the time? I mean, did it have um, much impact on on what you were doing? I think I wasn't, but I was involved in a, a conference somewhere, or as Steph would say, a conference <laughs> in <inverted> commas, <laughs> uh, where people could not get to or from it. Um, wow. And. Um, yeah, I mean, it was local for us, so it was, we're okay. But, uh, yeah, we couldn't get people in from large parts of Europe. Oh, sorry, Scandinavia, certainly, and, and the US. So, uh, yeah, very, very, very bad. Indeed. Uh, uh, what about what about you, Steph? I suppose it depended a bit on routes that you were going as to whether you would end up being, in, being caught in it I, coming this way, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't doing a ton of travel in 2010, which is what? odd. I a big problem. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Since um, when? Not, not really. <laughs> That was kind of pre, like, all the travel craziness I've un undertaken in my life. Um, Mainly to do with marathons, to... I think it's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> so I started running marathons in 2013, so uh, that's uh, when things took off a little bit more. Yeah. No pun intended there. But um, yes. <laughs> I guess it seems like it was more recent because I did go on vacation to Iceland in 2015, and it just seemed like it was a lot closer in proximity to that time. True. But, true, hmm. very true indeed. Hmm. We were talking about uh, exit interviews earlier on, and uh, I wonder if uh, these two fellas uh, may have been involved in it. This is a story for you, uh, Nick and, and Steph. Look at this one. Go for it, Nick. Yeah. Do you want to take this one, Steph? Uh, no, go for it. I'll, I'll take the next one. Okay. So, um, I mean, don't we... fight about it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the, um, the the Russian uh, aircraft that landed in a field. Oh, in the field. Um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So it occurred back in September um and uh, there was there had been some speculation about mm -hmm. whether or not they were going to recover the aircraft whether it might be flown out or whether it might get broken up for spares um, i don't think that a decision has been made on that yet um however it has been reported in aerotime.aero 
the relatives of two pilots that were forced to land an Airbus A320 passenger jet in a Russian cornfield have said the men were asked to resign following the incident. Um, a Russian news outlet has reportedly told um, about the development on the 6th of December directly from the relatives of the Ural Airlines pilots. According to sources, the Russian flag carrier gave no explanation, but both pilots, uh, Sergei Belov and Eduard Semenov, refused to sign resignation letters. Confusion surrounding the crash has grown since the Airbus A320 was forced to land in a field just outside of Novosibirsk. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was alleged to be running low on fuel. Um, and I think there was some mismanagement there regarding... Um, the, uh, the landing gear being down um, and that causing a, a much greater fuel burn than they were expecting. Uh, so following the incident, it was reported that the Airbus had experienced a failure of its hydraulic system and the crew chose to divert to another airport. However, as the plane flew to an alternative airport, it became apparent that the aircraft did not have enough fuel to land there. So after the initial report into the incident was published in um, on October the 31st, 2023, the Federal Air Transport Agency of Russia came out and said a new investigation was needed due to newly discovered circumstances. Mm, sounds a bit uh, fishy to me. It ominous, was then reported, I think, is the word you're looking ominous, for. Ominous, yes, yeah. good one. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Um, it was then reported on November 17th that the Russian authorities had identified 15 errors and contradictions with oh. the original report. Uh, among its concerns, the Russian agency was particularly troubled by the unacceptably low level of the pilot's training and discrepancies found in the report. Mm -hmm. So what do we think? Does it sound like a bit of saving of face by the airline to try and make scapegoats? Well, weren't they talking about, at one stage, flying it out again? Yes. I think uh, they still are, aren't they? Aren't they waiting for I, it to mean, ice over or something? I'm not the an latest, expert, but <laughs> I think that might be tricky. The latest I'd heard was that they appeared to be backpedalling on that. Um, oh, OK. I think originally they were waiting for the ground to harden um, as it moved into winter and it would give them a better uh surface to take off from um but yeah the last thing i read a couple of weeks ago was it sounded like they were probably gonna i don't think that's an approved airbus procedure possibly i mean yeah. the, the other issue we're running with this of course is the amount of the longer this thing sits there do you know what i mean the, the longer this thing is sat in this field the more and more unlikely it's going to be that this thing is airworthy do, do, yeah. do you see where I'm going with this? I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, I, I think as you, as as Nev says, it, 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 you know, jokingly, it's you know, not an Airbus, uh, a known Airbus procedure and stuff. I mean, even if the ground does go firm, I mean, it is going to be so bumpy. The risk of surely the risk of uh, some form of structural failure with all that abuse essentially that the yeah. undercarriage is putting through not yeah. only said undercarriage but the rest of the aircraft surely makes this a, a, a crazy idea yes you know i think they could probably get the surface prepared well enough if they had the resources or desire to do so couldn't they tarmac um, it <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's one option. You can do a lot of things, right? <laughs> um, but uh, it just, you know, it seems like something where there hasn't been a lot of um, 
consensus or at least forward progress on what they're going to decide to do with it. Um, and I don't, I'm sure there's a million things that that comes down to, whether it's resources, time, finances. I, I could think of a, a bunch of things that might be barriers to getting that aircraft out of I the I guess field. they have issues with sanctions on parts, don't they? And it, I, I suppose mm. it may come down to whether or not it's worth more to, to the airline to have a, a functional, usable aircraft that they can fly and earn revenue with or more useful to them as, as a mm -hmm. spare part. Surely at this point it's it's more useful to them as spare part, surely. I, I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we could go on and on. I guess I guess we shouldn't. I kind of want to see them do it, though. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that'll get some views on All YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I mean, any publicity is good publicity, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we, uh, we, one we, thing I could the, see a problem, problem with is, of course, that that runway that they uh, uh, are intending to use is not in the flight management computer. Uh, so that would be interesting <laughs> to see how they get it off the deck in the first. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. There you go. That's true. Can, can you put an Airbus in full manual mode? Uh, I think you do, you do have to give it a destination from oh, my recollection. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I'm not, but presumably, therefore, you need a departure airport as, as right. well. Right, okay. No if you're going to do it properly. Yeah. But, um, uh, yes. Captain Cruz is saying aircraft is 19 years old. What could happen? And it will be spare parts uh, use thereafter there in any case. So they might as well rob it for parts, I guess, while it's on the ground. But uh, Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Never mind. Now, how about this one? It's not... This is on the in the Guardian dot com, um, and uh, it's all about. Well, let me let me read the story, and, and we'll, we'll see how we go with it. Uh, it says that uh, Los Angeles police flights cost three thousand dollars per hour, an audit finds. Los Angeles spends nearly $15 million per year on its police helicopter program, or roughly $3,000 for every hour of flight, according to a new audit that raises questions about the financial and environmental impacts of the city's aerial surveillance. Uh, the LA Controller's report, released on Monday, suggests the use of the LAPD helicopters is nearly constant across the city, and the majority of flight time is not in response to reports of major crimes, but instead for transportation, ceremonial trips or patrols. Uh, the flights are a major source of pollution and appear to disproportionately affect some communities of colour, the audit said. LAPD's uh, Air Support Division, which operates 17 helicopters uh, and has more than 90 employees, cost the city an average of $46.6 million per year or $127,805 per day, the controller reported. Those yearly expenses are greater than the entire budgets of 14 other city departments, including the city clerk's office, which has a $34 million budget, uh, the cultural affairs office at $29.3 million, civil, human rights and equity department, uh, which is uh, $17.7 million, and the youth development department at $1.7 million. LAPD's chief refuted the methodology and some findings in a letter to the controller. The controller's analysis of air operations from 2018 through to 2022 found that there are typically two helicopters flying for 20 hours per day every day of the year, logging an average of 16,000 hours of flight time each year. Uh, each year. The helicopters burn an estimated 761,600 gallons of fuel yearly, releasing more than 7.4, sorry, 7,400 metric tons of carbon dioxide, according to the report. 
which said that the output was equivalent to over 19 miles driven by gas-powered cars. Uh, our audits find findings strongly suggest that the LAPD's current use of helicopters causes significant harm to the community without meaningful or reliable assessment of the benefits it may or may not deliver, said the report from controller uh, Kenneth Mayer, who was elected last year on a promise to scrutinise LAPD spending. The audit identifies 783 instances of ceremonial flyby activities of the helicopter unit, over the five-year period. That includes flights over LAPD graduations, retirements, funerals and community events. The office, uh, the office reported numerous instances and said that it was inefficient, inappropriate use of city funds, including a six-hour flight for a gathering called a chilly fly-in, seven fly-by activities at golf tournaments and a round-trip helicopter ride that took two LAPD officials from downtown headquarters to a meeting at a station 20 miles away. Uh, if you live in a, a LA, the humdrum and loud thunder of helicopter rotor blades in the sky is a fact of life, says Sergio Perez, uh, Chief of Accountability and Oversight for the Controller. Helicopters fly over my house sometimes at 3am, at 5pm and at 8am. I have a three-year-old who has been woken up by it. Noise pollution has a significant impact on your mental health. These are real costs and it's an incumbent on us to ask, what is the point? What are we getting from this? The audit found that the helicopter division devoted only 39% of its flight time to high-priority crimes, such as reports of felony offences or urgent public safety matters, including missing persons searches. But even with those instances, the report said that neither the controller nor LAPD can demonstrate that the helicopters have deterred crime. Gosh. So what do we think about this? Um, can we circle back to the stat there that says that this um, accounts for an equivalent CO2 um, pollution equivalent to 19 million miles driven by a car? Yeah, and that's in one year a, of helicopter use. It's a big number, isn't it? 19 million miles. <clears throat> I did look it up while we were reading through the story because I was curious how many, um, you know, uh, Southern California and Los Angeles is fairly renowned for um, gridlock on the roads and lots of cars, vehicles. Um, and just a quick stat was that there are 7.8 million vehicles registered just in L.A. County. So also quite a lot of road pollution happening. So it doesn't help. Um, that said, L.A.'s um, current air quality today is actually pretty good. So um, I must admit but yeah, I think the I think the bigger issue here is that they're using it for all of these you know basically things that aren't contributing towards the mission of the police department there were a lot of you know the chili fly-in and flyby activities and golf tournaments and transportation type stuff that just doesn't seem like an appropriate use of those types of resources you want to have readily available for uh, presumably crime related things and you know maybe not so much that it's deterring crime but you know if it's um helping something that's already in progress i could see the use there perhaps but i mean i mean is it fly is this you know a helicopter in the air flying around is that seriously is that going to act as any form of deterrent though seriously I no mean, not deterrent i could see you know um in like manhunt type situations though especially if um in busy traffic areas where it might be difficult to maneuver on the ground 
And that interest, that it, shouldn't be something that's happening every day for two helicopters to be in the air 20 hours a day. No. Well, and, and an like interesting stat that, um, that uh, producer John has just put together for us is saying, uh, hold on, if the report states, uh, what was it, $127,805 a day, that's only equivalent to 2.5 hours per helicopter per day over 17 helicopters, in which case that's actually not a great deal of flying time. Hmm. I, I, this, this is the age-old argument, though, is that you can take a, a number of any description and you can distort it to whatever narrative that you're trying to push. Statistics can be used to prove pretty much anything you would like to prove or disprove. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, if I manipulate uh, certain statistics, I, I can say that I am the, the best breakfast DJ in the entire world. And who would refute that? Well, Nobody. many people. As None it of turns us here. Out, but like <laughs> many, many people. But uh, yeah, it's as you say you could. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like numbers are numbers. You can you can tweak them and alter them to 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 support your own narrative with very little effort these days, and people will accept them. Well, like I said, I think the big thing here is to have some oversight for it, um, so that these types of resources are being used for the mm. uh, purposes that they're intended to be used for, and not just being kind of wastefully yeah. used, especially when there are um, you know real consequences to their use. Definitely, not only cost, but you know, uh, environmental concerns. Indeed, very much so. Agreed. Now, about when we're flying, of course, it's all about documentation and, and passport and mm. ticket and boarding pass, isn't it, Matt? And these things are really important. But um, uh, this uh, fella here um, seemed to not have any of those things and, and still managed to uh, get to Los Angeles. I think uh, bizarre is the word for, for this one, especially in the uh, current climate we find ourselves in. Uh, simpleflying.com is the website source for this. And the headline, it is Mysterious Russian Man Flies SAS to Los Angeles Without a Passport visa or a ticket. A passenger has arrived in the US on a Scandinavian Airlines SAS flight from Copenhagen without a ticket, passport or any record that they might have that they might have boarded they might have had in order to board the aircraft. The incident took place in early November on a flight from Copenhagen Airport to Los Angeles International Airport and an investigation is ongoing to ascertain exactly what happened and how. The passenger in question uh, Sergei uh, is a Russian-Israeli dual national, according to uh, statements from the crew on the flight as reported by The Independent. He attracted attention on board when he wandered around the plane and kept changing his seat. At one point, attempted to eat chocolate that belonged to members of the cabin crew. Oh, no, that's a very, very so... <laughs> People have died for less, frankly. Uh, anyway, uh, himself, uh, he was he, he claims to have no memory of being on the aircraft or how he got on board, although he would have had to pass through various checks, including at airport security and at the boarding gate. This has led to the spotlight being shone on Scandinavian Airlines security procedures at Copenhagen Airport as part of the ongoing investigation. A spokesperson for the airport is reported as 
as saying. We can see from our surveillance that he has entered without a valid ticket. Copenhagen Airport has provided photo and video material to the authorities who are investigating the case. We take the matter very seriously and it will be included in the work we continually do to adjust and tighten our guidelines to improve security. The report states that the seat first occupied uh, by the passenger was listed as unoccupied on the flight paperwork and when he arrived at Los Angeles International Airport officers discovered that he was not listed on any other flight arriving into the US that day either. As part of the investigation the contents of the passenger's cell phone were also reviewed but failed to provide any clues as to what happened. For now the investigation into this unusual incident continues. Uh, Scandinavian Airlines flies daily between its Copenhagen hub and Los Angeles International Airport deploying its Airbus A330 300s on the route. Data from CH Aviation shows that the carrier currently has eight A330-300 aircraft in its fleet. I mean, I have many, many questions. We'll start with the most important one. I think, how dare you try and steal cabin crew chocolates? I mean, that surely is a punishable offence in its own right. <laughs> no one, no one's stealing chocolate from me. No, no, exactly. <laughs> to do it to somebody else. <laughs> I know. Unforgivable. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, unfortunately, uh, producer John is unable to comment directly, but I'm pretty sure that if everybody tried to do that with him, there would be some very stern words that had to be discussed. I think we'd be very cross about that. <laughs> but I mean, I'll, I mean I'm, I'm joking, of course. The, the big story here is like, I mean, this should not be possible, surely. Yeah. I mean, we should, you know, fair enough, all right, if you've managed to get, like, through passport control, who knows, there's any number of distractions that could have perhaps prevented it. Although I have to say, certainly experiences going through both um, um, Stansted and uh, Heathrow and also in Charlotte. I mean, Sh Charlotte was a real nightmare for me trying to get through. An absolute... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's... It'd, be, it'd be difficult at best. Well, I didn't realise that the barcode they gave me... Just even get airside. Well, yeah, this know? is it. But I didn't realise... You know the barcode that they give you when, yes. you, when you've got... I didn't realise how important that was. Oh. Yes. Okay. Yes, I soon yeah. found out. Don't you worry about that. Yeah, you, you <laughs> I was, I was taken into a little side room. Uh, <laughs> That was, that was quite was that That's a great way to start I, my trip, I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> the last time I flew to LAX, uh, with all the correct documentation, I have to say, oh, uh, it wasn't a brilliant experience. Imagine turning up at LAX without the correct documentation. Well, this is that, it. That, that is quite a big moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think all this was discovered when he got to LAX. Yeah, you precisely know, the, right, yes. But there aren't um, too many... There aren't too many airports around the, the, especially in Europe or in the US, where you can even get airside, you know, get through yeah. security without yeah. a boarding pass of some sort. That's usually the first thing. Yeah. yeah. And of course, at the end, at the end of the day, it's the carrier's responsibility to make sure that the passenger has the correct documentation. Um, so SAS, I mean, after the investigation, I would imagine has the potential of a quite a hefty fine as I well. I so, yeah, uh, because it. of that. So, I mean, you've, well, you've flown out of Copenhagen this year, haven't you, Nev? Uh, I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and last year as well, yes. And it's all, I mean, you know, it, it, there's big separation, uh, as always, between, um, you know, airside environment and, and, uh, and landside and, and uh, immigration. You know, it's all, it's all very well... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's all, yeah, it's, it's very well defined. And actually, to be able to get through that, 
you would think would be impossible, but uh, clearly something has gone wrong here. The I mean, something's gone terribly wrong. Stated that he had no memory of getting on board the aircraft, and yet I feel like you don't just accidentally wander into a, an airport by accident and then accidentally wander onto an aircraft. Quite. Did I get here? It would How feel as though there was some planning like... involved there. I, I, mean, I do wonder whether or not he actually kind of scoped the airport out and, and maybe found some inadequacies in the security screening, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Bill is saying SAS uh, stands for scarcely any surveillance. That was, that was his <laughs> suggestion. Um, but this is, this is the thing, though, as you say, you, you're saying about like the, the, the security thing. I mean, maybe he was doing... Maybe it was being done on purpose i mean you, you do get undercover these people, inspector. Yeah. you, you yes. do get these people mm -hmm. that you know as you say perhaps doing a recce or whatever and really it wasn't until he got to lax that um it sounds like he met any form of resistance in his um i think the gentleman should be congratulated for getting as far as he did yeah well yes, <laughs> yes. if it wasn't for the massive ramifications of what he did i would be very much going bravo what, Bravo, the stealing of sir. chocolate, you mean? Yeah, no, that's yes. no, that's that's no, unforgivable. That, that's, yeah. a red line, that's probably why he got caught. Yeah. That's probably why he got caught because it's just like he had the audacity to steal crew chocolates. I mean, come on, <laughs> it's a furious thing. Never mind. Okay, uh, I, my sincere apologies. For some reason, the dog is—I don't know—barking at ghosts or something downstairs. I don't know mm. what's going on. Uh, so, apologies <laughs> if you can little Alfie in the background uh, chipping in. He's finding the conversation fascinating. Uh, Richard E. Flagg. Uh, from UK Airfields is saying the consequences were severe if people took our food, not just chocolate, but any of our food. Some passengers yeah. certainly suffered. Yes, I would imagine so. It's just like, how dare you? <laughs> Lucky. Now, sometimes we, we see um, uh, ground crew and engineering departments fixing things with speed tape or, or duct tape, don't we, on, uh, on uh, yes. engines and, and cowlings and things like that. Uh, looking at this particular one, I don't know if you've got a picture of this one coming up next. I uh, have. Um, th th this might be a step too far. So, uh, Nick or Steph, would you like to have a, a go at this one? Over to you, Steph. Sure, got it. Um, so, yes, this is from uh, flightglobal.com, and the headline is FAA to require 737 uh, next gen nacelle modifications in response to deadly 2018 CFM 56 engine failure. The Federal Aviation Administration has proposed rules targeting Boeing 737. Um, next-gen nacelles following two engine failures late last decade that caused significant aircraft damage and killed one person. Three new proposed airworthiness directives released by the U.S. government on December 11th would require airlines to inspect and modify 737NG cowling, cowls, inlets, and other nacelle components. Collectively, the proposals affect all U.S. registered 737NGs, about 2,000 jets. The measures are intended to make nacelle components more uh, resilient to impact from engine components ejected due to CFM International uh, CFM 56 turbofan failures. Those engines power all 737 NGs. So goes on to say an NTSB investigator, uh, that's the picture that we were seeing there examining that. Um, that was one of the failures on April 17th of 2018. Um, the FAA has determined further rulemaking is necessary to reduce the probability of unsecured nacelle components should an engine uh, fan blade failure occur. Boeing did not respond to a request for comment. The company has already been redesigning nacelle components in response to the two in-flight failures in 2016 and 2018. The FAA's proposed orders would require airlines to adopt Boeing's changes. 
The FAA's proposals would require airlines to replace fan cowl hinge fittings and inlet cowl fasteners and replace or modify radial resistant assemblies and exhaust nozzles. The FAA also proposed uh, proposes requiring airliners to change maintenance programs. The FAA is, is issuing this uh, airworthiness directive to address fan cowls that are not strengthened, which in the event of a, an occurrence could depart the nacelle, potentially damaging a stabilizer or striking the fuselage and window. Uh, investigators contributed or attributed the 2018 CFM 56 failure to a fatigue crack in a fan blade. Blade parts hit the radial resistant fitting located on the fan cowl, causing the cowl to break up. A cowl latch keeper hit the aircraft's fuselage, breaking a window and causing a rapid decompression. Unfortunately, one passenger died after being um, sucked partway out the window, the NTSB determined, and the pilots were able to safely land the jet. Um, the NTSB also pointed to a fatigue crack as a source of the 2016 failure, which did not cause injuries. Both jets were 737-700s operated by Southwest Airlines. Uh, in 2018, the FAA sought to prevent such engine failures by ordering airlines to complete ultrasonic inspections of the CFM-56 fan blades. That did not address the nacelle problems, and Boeing responded by developing, quote, structural enhancements uh, intended to help nacelle components withstand being struck by blades. And the FAA is going to require that Boeing finish that work by July of 2028. Gosh. Quite a big uh, moment, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the whole point of the certification, as I understand it, is that if there is a uh, a blade failure of some sort, it has to be contained within the engine itself. But um, there's been numerous occasions where that has not happened. Yeah, I mean, these two specifically. Yeah, I, I guess uh, something like this. I mean, uh, I absolutely agree with you, and this would literally be my worst nightmare, wouldn't it? You know, if a piece of the engine suddenly came flying into the cabin, for example. But I, I guess there's only so much you can do to um, mitigate something that's spinning around at an alarming speed and controlling... You know, I, there's lots of things you can do, as you say, to, like, sort of uh, control to a degree where the bits go... But you'll never, ever be able to come up with, surely you'll never be able to come up with a completely, like, well, fail-safe system is not the right word, but you know what I mean? There, there, there is always going to be the risk of something going somewhere it shouldn't. No matter I'm just surprised that never... they've got so long to do it. They've got four and a half years to complete this by. That seems like a really long time. There's a lot of flights that are going to happen in that time. There's a, a really good chance since... that something like this will happen again. And a lot of airplanes. I don't know yeah. how many 737 yeah. NGs are out there, but it's it's quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, so surely that's the, the part of the reason for that time frame, but I agree it does seem like quite a bit of time. Um, yeah, and then back to your point, Matt, I, I, you know, I don't think you're ever going to be able to recreate every type of possible failure that could occur. And, um, you know, I'd be interested to know more about what those structural enhancements are because... In my mind, how do you prevent that more? You make the component stronger, thicker. Does that lead to more weight? Um, you know, and then that's yeah. got penalties associated with it. So I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, you know definitely cost involved. John is suggesting it's. I said yeah. I I. You know I, I'm a nervous fly. There's no two ways about it. You know. But but even I am, you know, realistic to sort of suggest that. You know, you can mitigate as best you can, but at the end of the day, 
you know, stuff happens. You can plan, 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 but things, you know, can potentially go wrong. Yeah, that's you know? true. And it's one of the things working in engineering is that there's there are always things that happen which you know you can design something really yeah. well and you, you can think... develop it test it but stuff will always happen that you never really accounted for no um and, it, and, and, and again you get the argument of like well that shouldn't have happened <laughs> yeah you know shouldn't like, have happened yeah should have happened but it did but and it now did, how yeah. do you <laughs> yeah. how do you now move forward from it yeah absolutely. you know is it something that's likely to happen again or very unlikely to happen again does it require you know all the time cost energy well, effort, and, and, and these are insanely rare events again mm -hmm. i mean yeah. however you dress it up a aviation you know flying is still the safest way of getting around because of its you know insane regulations and all that kind of thing as you say it's just like i mean if you if you applied that same logic to the cars that people drive on the road and applied those same like statistics again we're using statistics again uh it, it's it's one of those isn't it i mean if you actually if you sat down and analyzed the risks involved in you getting in your car and driving somewhere never you'd never leave the house no <laughs> in some reality might, would you i mean it's other just, road users might be grateful for that possibly. not in the banana surely <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah i you know you're damned if you do if you're damned if you don't i guess do any of you guys is, know if these engines are used on other aircraft, or is it specific to that? Um, you know, I should know. Yeah, I should have checked that out because I'm not sure. John, a second, he'll he'll have the answer. A three twenties, I think, or some A three twenties. Right. Yeah, it's they're used on A three twenties, first generation of A three forty two hundreds, and then classic and next gen seven thirty sevens. Nice. Obviously, Southwest are a, are a huge operator, sure. So they're going to be doing an, an awful lot of these. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether or not um, that would have a sort of a big impact on on fleets elsewhere. Yeah, I agree. I agree. KC one thirty fives apparently as well. Lots of things uh, now. Nev, this this story it, I I find. Fascinating. I'll I'm glad I'm not hooked up to my blood pressure monitor at the moment because <laughs> I, would be I need to write a prescription a for something we, to help lower your. I would be bending <laughs> the needle. Yeah. All I can thing. suggest across the uh, the ocean is um, a good alcoholic beverage. So. Yes, I, indeed. I shall be doing. I thought I should have had one before we started. Yeah, indeed. Uh, now, uh, do I do I need to play this before you start? By the way, Nev. Brace yourselves, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> right. On the independent.co.uk, this has been written by Simon Calder. Now, I have. Oh, no. Say right oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to say right out front, under Nick? normal circumstances, I am not his biggest fan. However, oh, okay. he, has, he has got this story bang on. Oh, uh, okay. I, it's just horrific. The story says British Airways stops passenger flying after claiming UK passports expire after nine years. What? No, on, they don't. That's right. I, I know that too. <laughs> on Friday the 4th of November, <laughs> Laura Savage arrived at London Heathrow Terminal 5 in good time to board her British Airways flight to Oslo. She had, t uh, had a ticket for flight BA762 to the, the Norwegian capital, plus a passport valid for outbound travel to Norway and anywhere else in the Schengen area until the 12th of October 2024. 
Uh, but BA ground staff stopped Miss Savage at the departure gate. They told her UK passports could no longer be used once they were over nine years old. The staff refused to let her board and BA kept her fare. Miss Savage, a property stylist from Oxfordshire, not relevant, uh, then contacted British Airways to protest that she had been wrongly denied boarding. But BA doubled down on its de decision to turn her away. The Customer Services Department responded, as you weren't having a valid passport, our staff didn't allow, allow, allow you to board the flight. She has since emailed the airline more than 10 times with proof that her passport comfortably meets the post-Brexit requirements without a response. Ms Savage uh, then contacted the Independent saying it's been beyond frustrating trying to complain and get compensation from them. The only way to make a complaint is via email and they are just not responding to me. After a very, very early start from her home, Ms Savage uh, parked at Heathrow and passed through Terminal 5 security as normal. But at the gate for the 7.55am departure, BA ground staff told her that her passport was too close to the expiry to be acceptable. They insisted UK passports ceased to be valid for travel to the European Union and wider Schengen area nine years after their issue date. This has never been the case. Whilst the UK was a member of the EU, passports were valid up to their expiry date. Since Brexit, UK travellers are treated by Europe as third country nationals and the passport must not be more than 10 years old on the day of outbound travel. On the intended day of return, it must have at least three months before expiry. Ms Savage's uh, passport is valid for travel out to Norway and any other Schengen area country until... Uh, 12th of October 2024 for a stay until January 2025. She says I had to forfeit, forfeit my trip plus waste money on the plane ticket, parking and fuel when this was really actually not my fault but theirs. Uh, under European air passenger rights rules, Miss Savage appeared due a full refund for the flight plus £220 in compensation for being wrongfully denied boarding. A spokesman for BA said, we're sorry for our customers' experience and our teams are working hard to resolve the matter. Mm. Oh, dear. Well, there's, there's two things immediately here for me. One is they should know the rules of the game in terms of passport validity. Uh, that's been clear for some time. But also, why is it that we need extra validity on our passports Anyway, I don't understand this, and this applies to going to the US sometimes, the Middle East, all sorts of places. I look at my driving licence, and it tells me that uh, my driving licence expires on the 17th of December 2028. On the 18th, uh, I, mean, I can still drive up until that point, presumably. Mm. I'm looking at my insurance certificate for my video equipment that I carry around, and my, my public liability insurance and blah 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 uh, and it says that it expires on the um, uh, 31st of January 2024 I don't need extra time for that so I don't even begin to understand why there's this buffer required for I, passport so validity. I, I could accept I could accept that you needed a buffer for example uh, say you know so like you need to have enough time left on your passport to arrive in your country of origin before it expires yes i, yes. I agree with that and yep. i'll tell you about a experience that i had um i guess this was probably also like eight years ago because it was as my my previous passport was expiring it was expiring in 
I believe, January, and I took a trip to the Caribbean in December. Mm. Um, the country that I was going to uh, was Montserrat, and they did not have any um, restrictions on how much time I needed to have valid on my passport. Just the understanding that I was not going to stay beyond the valid date the, the of the time. passport, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I was going for a week. I had a month. Great. Mm. You know, shouldn't be an issue. Um, interestingly, though, on the way back, um, stopped um, in Antigua and Barbuda and had a, a long layover, like six or seven hours. So decided to leave the airport just to go to a little restaurant on the beach and, you know, sit and enjoy a beverage and some food. And then it, it was right down the street from the airport. Yeah. Like you could walk there, walk back, but had to go through passport control to get there because different country. Um, and they had uh, their stamps for the passport were pre-written um, saying um, the the entry was valid for three months. So they looked at my passport, they crossed out the three, wrote one, and handed it to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> With, after, after asking me very specifically what I was going to be doing in the country, and when they yeah. realized I was leaving the same day, they didn't care so much. Yeah. Um, you know, the Caribbean's a little bit on the laid back side, but yeah. um, I'm going I don't know, to seem get, very, I'm off to get very dinner. logical. Yeah. <laughs> seemed very logical. You know, yeah, they, they had an expectation that you would have three months of validity left on the passport yeah. so that you wouldn't overextend or overstay mm. your um, valid passport date, but um, they were very happy just to cross it out and write over it with a, a pen. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, going back to the story, obviously here. I mean, the, I mean, surely this lady should be entitled to all of the costs that she's been, to, you know, that she's yep. outlaid for Absolutely. a trip that was cancelled. And I'm sorry, that is absolutely on BA. If it were me, I'd be going for the parking. I'd be going for the fuel involved. I'd want money for the inconvenience. She might have been going mm -hmm. for a business trip or something like that. You know, I mean, they they, what they, they tend not to do is sort of consequential loss. Um, so she might get, you know, parking and fuel and things like that. But they'll probably give her, you know, 20,000 avios or, or something like that. But, um, yeah, I think when you've got this sort of situation going on, uh, I would imagine that tempers could get quite... Um, well, and, and quite rightly so. This is, this is the, but, but how can someone at the gate there, when it is literally their job to know the rules, how can you be a year out? Or, if there's a question about it, escalate it to the supervisor. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 only unanswered question here for me is: Did they escalate it to a supervisor? And if they did, did the supervisor back them up? Because the article rather indicates that yeah. they did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting to hear what the outcome of this is. Actually, mm. um, so uh, yeah, but uh, be fascinating. Uh, <laughs> John suggesting a whole lot more training uh, might be the solution to, to this. Yeah, explaining the rules. Uh, Captain Cruz's comment is: is uh, it unnecessarily patronises uh, people or patronises people uh, that they may not be capable to manage their own responsibility to ensure their documents are valid? It's a good point, really. To be fair, it is a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, we need we need closure on this one, Nev. I feel. Well, I'm sure we'll hear some more about it. Yeah, Simple. let's hope That's so. Sure. Let's hope so. Right. So next story uh, is with. Uh, Either Nick or Steph, whichever one would you like to uh, have a go at this one? We discussed this on uh, APG just yesterday. Do you want to go ahead and read it, Nick? And then I'll okay, sure. Um, so it actually dates back to a uh, an incident that occurred in 2022. Um, 
it was January 2022, a JetBlue flight departing from Hayden Yamper Valley Airport. Um, whereabouts it's is that of, stuff? It's in Colorado. Colorado. It's in the okay. mountains. Yeah. So it experienced a tail strike during takeoff while attempting to avoid a Beechcraft King Air that was landing on an opposite runway. The NTSB investigation into the incident has now concluded, revealing a complex interplay of miscommunication and expectation bias at the root of the near miss. The final report identified several key factors contributing to the incident. Um, the incoming King Air aircraft used a non-standard phraseology on the airport's common traffic advisory frequency. Um, and notab notably, the King Air pilots omitted crucial details like the specific runway inten intended to use, uh, which seems like a bit of an oversight. This ambiguity sowed seeds of confusion for the JetBlue crew. Um, and the JetBlue crew lacking extensive experience with non-towered airport operations, which is a little more common in the USA, I think, but certainly not yeah. something that we would see here with regards to uh, scheduled airline services. Uh, they interpreted the, the calls as an intention to land on the same runway from which they were departing. Uh, this pre-existing assumption combined with limited information available led to a misinterpretation of the King Air's true intentions. As the JetBlue flight was preparing to depart, the King Air's flight crew replied on the frequency that they were on short final and stated, I hope you don't hit us, according to the final report. As a result of these factors, the JetBlue captain, who was the pilot flying at the time, was surprised by the unexpected head-on traffic and reacted by rotating the 15-year-old aircraft A320 uh, 24 knots early, exceeding the recommended pitch limit and causing a tail strike. The JetBlue flight diverted to Denver following the incident, and in the report, the NTSB classified the aircraft's damage as substantial, uh, of which we've got a, a picture of there. Um, the NTSB determined the probable cause of the incident to be the captain's premature rotation upon encountering head-on traffic and, importantly, the investigation also identified miscommunication from the JetBlue's crew and expectation bias as contributing factors. So yeah, there was, I did actually find, a, I saw briefly a little video online of this somewhere, but um, I was unable to find it when I was putting the notes together. Yeah, I think we played the, um, the actual ATC communications from this and um, it, you can certainly see where there's some, uh, and I will say that the way that the King Air handled their end of the communications is very common for how common traffic advisory uh, calls are made throughout the U.S. Um, so admitting the word runway and just saying 2-8 is, you know, they're straight in 10-mile final for 2-8. That's not uncommon to hear. Um, you know, should you say straight in runway 2-8? Yes, but if you're in that environment, it's commonly understood that that's what's being said. Um, if we back up to the beginning of the incident, um, the King Air was actually on an IFR flight plan into this airport. Um, they um, basically were released by um, the air traffic control facility that they were talking to. So then they were just on the common traffic advisory frequency and they initially planned to rent, land on runway 10. Um, and then they switched, they changed their minds and switched to the, um, the opposite end of the runway, so 28. Um, and they set up for that. At the same time, the JetBlue flight was pushing back from the gate. 
Um, they didn't have a very long way to go from the gate to the end of the runway. They planned to use one zero. Um, we talked a lot last night about how uh, there's a lot happening in that time frame in terms of you know checklists being run and preparations and clearances being given, all of that. Um, so even though there's two folks in that uh, flight deck, you know there's a lot going on in terms of um, crew communication, checklist being run, lots of different things happening on the radio in the background. Um, so it's possible that they were aware that there was traffic that was going to land on one zero, missed the call that they were going to um, basically switch and land from the opposite direction on two eight. Um, further contributing to this that is not mentioned in this article is that the um, JetBlue flight was, they called for their clearance to get into the ATC system and were given a void time of two minutes after that time. So they had some time pressure to actually right. start to depart. So that um, didn't help. That didn't help. Um, and <laughs> we had some more insight into the communications that were happening in the flight deck of the JetBlue plane. They were aware that there was another aircraft inbound, but they never figured out where this aircraft actually was. They couldn't see them on their um, TCAS. So basically the display that shows where another aircraft is. They were still looking, you know, for an aircraft landing on one zero, but they hadn't identified an aircraft there either. So their decision to go ahead and enter the runway environment when there potentially could have been an aircraft short final behind them now on the same runway was also concerning. So all kinds it's, of things happening here. It's an unusual situation that yeah. I guess we probably wouldn't run into in this country, whereby we don't have non-towered airports for scheduled airline services. So it's a it's a bit of an, an unusual one, isn't it? But um, yeah. I guess with a lot more regional flying with with um, airlines in in the USA, it, it actually does happen fairly regularly. That's okay. Captain Cruz is saying, why would they fly an Airbus A320 into an untowered airport? Which is a very good point, actually. It, it happens all the time here. Does it? Um, yep, sure does. Um, for a lot of these um, seasonal destinations. So this is, um, I'm not familiar with um, wherever this was, Hayden Yampa Valley Airport, but it's in the, in the mountains in Colorado. I'm assuming it's a seasonal destination probably for JetBlue. So it's not something that they, maybe they do operate there all the time, or it may just be part of the year that they're there um, because of demand basically. Um, but the airport's not busy enough on a regular basis to warrant having a, its own control tower. Um, there are a lot of um, regional flights that go to untowered airports um, as part of connecting services, again, for airports that are pretty sleepy through most of the day, but then might have a handful of scheduled airline flights um, landing and departing just to help connecting passengers to larger cities because the driving distances are so great. So it, it happens here quite a bit. And there's also a lot of times where there will be a tower on the field, but it will only be open certain hours. And the last flight of the day or the first flight in the morning may happen outside of that uh, staffed tower time wow uh, uh, mike is saying uh not only that but towers close down regularly the tower exactly. at the portland jet port closes down at either 11 30 p.m or midnight every night that's a good point yep. um uh, armando oh hello uh-oh <laughs> he says matt <laughs> the airport you and i flew out of concord nc uh has um allegiant airlines airbus 
and uh, that's uncontrolled before 7 a.m well there yep. you go steph would there be any uh, repercussions for the king air pilot in this incident i think they're going to get a uh you know, I don't from know the FAA. Any, well, I don't know <laughs> if they had any formal re repercussions in this case, um, but certainly probably a discussion because mm -hmm. there was an incident. And, you know, um, it, yes, the, the phraseology was non-standard, but gosh, that's going to be hard to do anything enforcing with. It wasn't that they mm -hmm. weren't making their call-outs. They were absolutely making their call-outs. They just yeah. wow. okay. perhaps could have been a little bit clearer. Right. Mm. Wow. Okay. And uh, Pip, Pip is uh, saying, by the way, uh, hopefully popping up on screen in just a moment, he says, technology permitting, saying the, uh, Pip's saying the only place I can think of here in Europe where that this might happen is uh, in Chambry in France. Not 100% sure, though. Yeah, I, f I feel like it, I feel like perhaps I'm being unf uh, unfair here, but I feel like if if a plane is over a certain size, I feel like there should be certain conditions in terms of the resources available to it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you don't hear about this very often because usually it works very well and it's part of how our system is designed here. Yeah. Um, and also, if I'm in that King Air, if I'm flying the King Air and... Um, because this actually does have the, the airport where I normally fly does not have a tower. It's not busy at all. A lot of times during the whole day, I might see one or two other aircraft come in the whole day. Um, but a lot of times those are also aircraft that maybe don't use standard phraseology. Sometimes they just don't make radio call outs. Sometimes they don't have radios. Um, we have a lot of very small airplanes How out quaint. there. Yeah. Uh, yes, quaint un until you encounter them um, yes. where you yes. don't expect to find them. Uh. But if I'm going to be in conflict, especially well with any size aircraft, but if, if I'm that King Air and I see them lining up on the runway that I'm intending to land on in the opposite direction, I would probably break off that approach and figure is out there a chance that I, I, is there a chance that, it, that they couldn't see it? I guarantee you that the King Air could. Uh, I believe this all happened in visual meteorological conditions, okay. and I'm sure the King Air four miles out could see the JetBlue uh, Airbus. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's very likely the Airbus or that the JetBlue flight did not see the King Air. Okay. Um, that's much harder to pick out. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. A one well, we reckon it will buff out then. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Um, uh, Richard E. Flagg uh, is saying that Chambry uh, was always manned when I used to fly there. However, it is France, uh, so working and being on strike, not much difference really. Oh, I say that we're in danger of being in political territory here. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Armando's saying in a big plane, you're still on an instrument clearance, so you have, uh, so you have safety coverage. You just talk to them as soon as you take off. Right, and that's part of that um, clearance yeah. void time. Ste so, yeah. when they, you know, they were calling up to get their departure clearance, and what that does is ATC basically will if they have other inbound traffic or if there's other traffic on instrument flight plans in the area, they basically have to create a safe space for you. Yeah. Um, but that's why it comes with a void time. So if you don't, if you don't take off for some reason within those two minutes, then you have to call back and you get a new clearance void yeah. time, which could be, they could hold you for longer. Um, or it could be another two minutes, or it could be a handful of things. Yeah, there we go. Praise indeed. Ste uh, Armando saying Steph is correct. King Air should have gone missed. 
Yeah, I would have gone missed. Yeah, plane safety is saying that we technically can go to non-towered airports but must have AFIS. Somebody explain to me what that is. Oh, adequate fire and rescue. Oh, well, sorry, he's explained it. So, <laughs> uh, and a runway inspection within 30 minutes. What's, what's AFIS, just out of interest? That's a good question. Okay, somebody let me know, please, because the uh, the the non-plane person here. The only, the only thing know. that comes up when I Google <laughs> that is automated fingerprint identification. Okay, system. right. Okay, we'll move on. Well, yes, indeed. But uh, <laughs> uh, yes, thanks for for those. Well, uh, something. Oh, flight information. Oh, automated flight information. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah okay. I'm being Fair told enough. in my ears here. Yeah. Aphis. I never use that term. Okay. Yeah. Oh, AFIS. Automatic. I'm saying it wrong. I'm saying it wrong. Uh, Grant McCarran is saying that Canberra Airport Tower closed for a half an hour, and Virgin Australia didn't push back until the tower reopened. Go figure. (laughs) Well, quite. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Okay. Shall we move on then, Nev? Is that all right? Yeah. Well, it's um, uh, been a bit windy over in the UK, uh, but also in Buenos Aires as well. Judging by this next story, Matt. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so it's a parked Aerolinius. 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 Thank you very much. I'm glad somebody knows what they're doing. Uh, Argentina's 737 is battered by storm. Uh, Argentina has been dealing with a terrible storm in recent days, very much like the UK, as Nev was saying a moment ago, uh, which uh, turned deadly in the port city of uh, Baja Blanca and has hit the capital city of Buenos Aires in the past day. This caused quite the impact on airport operations with one particularly noteworthy incident. Video footage has uh, has emerged of uh, this particular aircraft, a Boeing 737 being blown around in the wind while parked at Buenos Aires uh, Airport. Uh, The incident involves a roughly 17-year-old Boeing 737-700 with registration code uh, Lima Victor dash Charlie. Thank you. That'll do. Alpha Delta. I panicked. I panicked. I nearly said coffee. I'm so sorry. Uh, In the video circulating wildly online, that's clearly what I need, uh, you can see the park jet uh, start to move due to the wind gusts. The plane starts to turn sharply to the right with the left wing hitting ground equipment, including air stairs. (laughs) Jen would be horrified at that, uh, before eventually uh, coming to a stop again in a completely different direction. The airport saw winds of up to 130. 30 kilometers per hour that's 80 miles an hour in old money so those are pretty strong winds you don't say typically airlines make an effort to fly planes out of airports prior to major storms to avoid damage as such as much as possible Uh, i'm not sure if the airline what just wasn't anticipating such a bad storm or if uh, that would have been uh, simply too big an undertaking given that buenos aires is the carrier's only home base i'm curious if best practices were otherwise used here for example with gusts so strong uh, you think that you might want to move the ground equipment away from the aircraft so that they don't potentially collide as uh, we'll see in uh, this little video that i've got to share with you now um now uh, we we've described it uh, in in the text here we'll do we'll do our very very best to sort of describe it for those of you listening to the audio version of the show uh, i'm just going to bring the the sound down here because i don't know if there's any bad language or anything on it um but uh yeah basically 
yeah, so we're at the airport here. We've got the the aircraft, and you can just see the plane starting to move. And then it really quite violently moves over to the right, clouts the air stairs, takes them down uh, all the way around. The air stairs are now lying on the side. The the air the the, the aircraft has literally turned it well it's literally sort of gone a full like 90 degree angle it is um completely in a different position uh to where it was um but uh as you say you would have thought that they would have even when it thought, oh, looks a bit windy out we probably ought to move all the equipment away from it I, I can only assume they just weren't expecting it to be this bad yeah also the um the rudders on these aircraft as well. I mean, you know, it acts like a very good sail, and yeah, uh, you get it, once it starts going, it's quite difficult to uh, stop it unless it's all yeah. uh, well chocked. And uh, you know, uh, in fact, in some instances, they'll they'll park the aircraft uh, into wind uh, as as well. I've certainly been into. Forget which airport it was in Oslo, in or Norway. Yeah, it was Norway somewhere. Where it's the same situation, they actually parked it um, away from the main area because they of the wind direction that was prevailing at the time, because it was just so so horrific. So uh, wow. yeah, I'm wondering if chocks would have avoided this though. The fact that it was able to rotate seemingly quite easily. Yes, and with yeah. speed. That's the thing. I mean, once yeah, the wind had got quick. under it, that was that was gone. I mean, it, it's not like it had a light nudge, was it? I mean, it just. Yeah, and I mean, what is a seven five seven three seven? It's about seventy tons, I think. Yeah, I Bearing mean, it was that the um, the front wheels aren't braked, so no, the partial brake right. is only set on the main gear. So, yep. um, that does have the potential for the the front to to move around somewhat, doesn't it? Mm. And of course, they are designed to lift in 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 certain air conditions, aren't they? So, I guess if you get a in every air condition, to be fair, thank you, John. Yes, <laughs> he and I are going to fall out by the end of this. I think, uh, it's, but it, but it, but it is uh, they are they are literally designed to sort of you know react to the wind. And I guess if you just get a swirl or a gust in just the right place, it's probably relatively light. If you see what I mean, so it wouldn't take much for it, you know. Yeah. Once it's once it's there was another video of online of a um, yeah a seven four seven cargo aircraft that was kind of looked like it was doing a wheelie basically while it was parked. Yeah, on just the bear with me a moment. I think that's that the video a, that, that John has just thing. just popped um, in for me. Just having a look. Oh, okay. Bear with me. It's another video of the same. I hope it's in the speed. landscape format this time. I was a bit cross. Uh, it's not, I'm afraid. It's it is. Sorry about that. No. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, just having to make a minor tweak to it. There we go. It is, I'm afraid, in in portrait mode. I'm afraid. So sincere apologies. That's because uh, they wanted to up upload it to uh, Instagram and uh, yeah, 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 TikTok. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This will give you a bet. This is a different angle of the same incident, essentially. God, look at the. You can hear the. Yeah, you can. Ooh, wow. You can see all the debris, can't you? Yeah, look, there it goes. Woof! That's quick, isn't it? That's what, yeah. sort of two or three seconds. I mean, that's faster than it would have done, than it would have moved with engine power. Yeah. You know, our, our forecasts are really um, good and accurate these days, but kind of all that just told me they weren't thinking it was going to maybe be quite that bad. Yeah. As what what we like to refer to here in the UK as a Michael Fish moment. <laughs> Indeed. 
Yes, it's uh, it's all right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Michael Fish moment that I'm referring to was basically was it 87 Nev, I think, yeah. wasn't it? Something yeah, like it that. It was, yes. And and said that um, uh, basically said uh, and uh, thank you to Mrs. What's her name who's been in touch to say they're very worried about their, that there's going to be a hurricane here in the UK, and he very famously said, "Well, don't worry, there's no hurricanes planned in the forecast." And then it was literally the. For, like the worst ever hurricane that the UK has ever experienced. Um, it's uh, Plane Safety Podcast is saying that unsecured traffic cone looks pretty stable, though. Yes, good point. <laughs> well made. <laughs> lower to the ground. Yes, you know, lower to the ground. aerodynamic. Yes, worse yes. aerodynamics. Absolutely, yes, indeed it is. Fortunately, a, a, you know, a traffic cone has the aerodynamic properties of a house brick, um, <laughs> therefore less likely to move. Uh, <laughs> There we go. <laughs> and on that bombshell, somebody dig me out of this hole. Never, I, never mind, it's weight. It's fine. No, no, no. That's yeah. got nothing to do with it. No, absolutely. Well, it's the last story now, uh, and a good and finally story, I think, on the uh, commercial section. Uh, it's on thestreet.com, and uh, it says that a bizarre and expensive technology has just been sold on eBay. Uh, and on the March the 2nd, 1969, test pilot André Turca uh, took off from Toulouse, France, and landed in the history books Tourcat was a flying flying a prototype of the Concorde, uh, the supersonic jetliner, and upon returning to Earth, the pilot made a succinct comment, the big bird flies, he says. Indeed it did. On uh, September the 26th, 1973, Concorde made its first transatlantic crossing, flying from Washington, D.C. to Paris in the record-breaking time of 3 hours and 33 minutes. Pretty impressive, especially when you realise that the same flight on a conventional jet takes about 7.5 hours. Uh, Concorde became the only way to fly for the rich and powerful with a one-way ticket from London to Washington in 1976 going for about $2,800 in today's money. Uh, in 1985 during the worldwide benefit concert Live Aid singer Phil Collins played the London stage then boarded a Concorde and made it to the US in time to play in Philadelphia. I was in England this afternoon Collins told the cheering crowd funny old world isn't it? Businessman Fred Finn really pulled out the stops as he flew Concorde a record-setting 718 times. My favourite mode of transport, without any doubt, is my beloved Concorde, Finn reportedly said. The prices kept climbing, and by 1996, a round trip across the Atlantic would set you back the equivalent of about $12,500. The Concorde sonic boom sparked protests, and many countries believed that the plane was not a good choice to fly over land and was suitable for supersonic flights only over water. In addition to the aircraft's noise, operating expense limited its service and financial costs, as well as the fatal crash in 2000 that killed over a hundred people, uh, um, which then caused Air France and British Airways to cease flying Concorde in 2003. Concorde made its last ever flight on November 26, 2003, departing London's Heathrow Airport and landing in Bristol, uh, in Filton in fact. Uh, in the UK. Uh, the Concorde made history and a piece of iconic aircraft was sold recently on eBay in the form of a Rolls-Royce Olympus jet engine uh, that went for about £564,000 20 years after the Concorde's final flight. The engine which belonged to a British Airways plane had been priced at £770,000 according to uh, Jalopnik so uh, the buyer got a bit of a bargain in, in terms of the deal. The listing said that the engine is not able to fly but perfect to dismantle and repurpose 
into collectible pieces of furniture or art. Uh, as this was the only Concorde engine sold by British Airways that still had the afterburner fitted. If you missed out on buying uh, this engine, there are several other Concorde-related items available on eBay, including a British Airways Concorde silver candlestick, Concorde cufflinks, a Concorde silver-plated corkscrew, and a British Airways Concorde silver letter opener. I don't think that's anywhere near as good as having an Olympus 593 turbojet engine, in my opinion. Uh, this was the only con and uh, it's uh, sorry, and for the future of super tra sonic travel, of course. Uh, uh, American Airlines uh, announced last year that it planned to put down a deposit to purchase 20 of the supersonic jets with the option to buy up to 20 more from the privately owned company Boom Supersonic. And in August, NASA said in a blog post that it investigated the business case for supersonic passenger air trans uh, travel aboard sorry, a board aircraft that could theoretically travel between Mach 2 and Mach 4. The space agency said it's also developing a quiet supersonic aircraft known as the X-59 as part of its quest mission. I still don't think we'll see any supersonic transport for passengers in my lifetime. Oh. My Richard, own opinion. Uh, Richard hmm. Adams is suggesting an upgrade for the banana, perhaps. Uh, true, yep. Might be a bit more reliable than the current one, that's for sure. Well, that's true. Grant McCarran is saying zero to immediate loss of licence in 3.5 seconds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't is, know. Living in a uh, American Airlines hub, um, maybe I'm a little more optimistic that we'll have mm, some uh, yeah. supersonic trip. Yeah, I maybe. don't know. I, I, th there is still such um, love, though, isn't there, for Concorde? I mean, I don't think there's an av geek in the world if you mention Concorde, doesn't go, ah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, I, I still can't get my, uh, <laughs> Captain Crew says, is that why Carlos is working overtime right now, financing <laughs> his Concorde engine purchase? More than likely, absolutely. I it's did have like, this story in mind when I, yeah. <laughs> when I put it I, in the notes for Carlos. I do have it on good authority, though, that if any more airplane parts should appear in his office, uh, there'll be a very stern conversation had with the wife, apparently. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering why somebody would pay over half a million quid for an engine which isn't usable in, a, in an aircraft. But because it belonged to Concorde and it's beautiful. It's half a million quid, that's but a it's lot. Yes, but they're, you know, I mean, if you've, if you've got it, you know, I mean, if Nev took a look down the back of his sofa, I'm sure he'd find I'm just wondering uh, if at least it, a you know, fiver. I mean, you know. <laughs> if somebody's going to be parting it out to, you know, make stuff that Carlos buys effectively. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> is, is there enough of a yeah, business no. case to spend half a million quid on Get an a engine? Blade that... here and there, and sort yeah. of sell it for a thousand pounds. You're sort of halfway there. Well, that's what yeah. I'm wondering. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, it's a funny one, isn't it? it it's. I, I think it. I think people are doing it because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there is still that nostalgia of the Concorde aircraft, isn't there? Because it still it'll gives show it... up in a museum, but. Well, yeah. They're a museum that's got half a million. But then, why we? Out. Why would you bother doing that when there are museums that you can go and see where there's a whole one? Yeah, true. I guess uh, mm. is my thing. I mean, I mean, Top Gear very famously made of a a pretty impressive coffee table with a with a uh, with an engine out of I can't remember yeah, what it so was Porsche nine two eight V eight it was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah indeed. So it's uh, you know uh, somebody's going to have a very nice coffee table by the sound of it. <laughs> 
Now that brings us to the end of the commercial news segment. So uh, normally at this point in the show, I would be doing one of my Nev's terminal tantrums. But in fact, uh, I feel I've already done one this week with that uh, passport validity story. So I'm going to hang on to this one that I was going to do Ooh, okay. until the next show, if that's all right with everybody, because okay. uh, there's, there's more to, to say on that. Oh. Uh, definitely. So, um, yeah, lots of interesting stories in the commercial uh, segment there. So, uh, uh, Matt, it is now the military segment. Oh, oh! Does that mean I need to press the? I hope button? you're ready with all that. I will. I'll press the button, shall I? Black up, buggies one three five fifty angels sixty three four zero. And taking a look at the first military story then for this week and the headline uh, from APnews.com is US military grounds entire fleet of Osprey aircraft following a deadly crash off the coast of Japan. Uh, a US military CV-22 Osprey takes uh, off from the Iwakunu, uh, Iwakini uni uh base uh in western japan on the 4th of july 2018 japanese and american military divers have spotted what could be the remains of a u.s air force osprey uh, aircraft that crashed last week off the southern southwestern uh, japan of and uh, several of the six crew members who were still missing. Local media reports on the 4th of December. Uh, the military announced late Wednesday it was grounding all of its Osprey V-22 helicopters one week after eight Air Force Special Operations Command Service members died in a crash off the coast of Japan. The Air Force, Navy and Marine Corps uh, Corps, uh, sorry, the Marine Corps took the extraordinary step of grounding hundreds of aircraft after the preliminary investigation of last week's crash indicated that a material a material failure uh, that something went wrong with the aircraft and not a mistake by the crew led to the deaths the crash raised new questions about the safety of the Osprey, which has been involved in multiple fatal accidents over its relatively short time in service. Uh, Japan grounded its fleet of 14 Ospreys after the crash. Lieutenant General Tony Bernfind, uh, head of Air Force Special Operations Command, directed the stand-down to mitigate risk while the investigation continues, the command said in a statement, preliminary investigation information indicates a potential material failure caused the mishap, but the underlying cause of the failure is unknown at this time. The, in a separate notice, Naval Air Systems Command uh, said it was grounding all Ospreys. The uh, command is responsible for the Marine Corps and Navy variants of the aircraft. The Air Force said that, that it was unknown how long the aircraft would be grounded. It said that the stand-down was expected to remain in place until the investigation determined with the cause of the Japan crash, crash and made recommendations to allow the fleet to return to operations. In Japan, where US military Ospreys had a non-fatal crash once and a number of incidences, the last accident has rekindled safety concerns just as the Japanese government builds a new base for its fleet of Ospreys. Uh, Chief Cabinet Secretary um, 
Hirokatsu Matsuno uh, told reporters in Tokyo the uh, government has already formally requested that the US military ensure the safety of Ospreys before their flights, uh, but that Tokyo will seek further information from the US side because it also affects the safety of Japan's own Osprey Osprey fleet. Needless to say, ensuring flight safety is top priority of the aircraft operation. Uh, Japanese self-defense force also operate Ospreys, and in order to ensure their flight safety we will continue to ask the u.s side to share information with us the u.s made osprey is a hybrid aircraft that takes off and lands like a helicopter but can rotate its propellers forward and cruise much faster like an aeroplane uh, during flight uh, the, uh, its unique design has been a factor in multiple instances while the investigation into last week's crash has only just begun it renewed attention on the aircraft's safety record particularly on a mechanical problem with the clutch that has troubled the program for more than a decade. There's also been uh, questions as to whether all parts of the Osprey have been manufactured according to safety specifications. In August, the Marines found that a fatal 2022 Osprey crash was caused by a clutch failure, but the root cause was still unknown. In its report on the crash, the Marines forewarned that future instances are impossible to prevent without improvement to flight control system software, drivetrain component material strength and robust inspection requirements. Air Force Special Operations Command has 51 Ospreys. The US Marine Corps uh, it flies as many as 400 and the US Navy operates 27. The Osprey is still a relatively young aircraft in the military's fleet. The first Ospreys only came uh, became operational in 2006 after decades of testing but more than 50 troops have died either have have died either flight testing the osprey or conducting training flights in the aircraft including 20 deaths in four crashes over the last 20 months an osprey accident in august in australia killed three marines that incident is also still under investigation i mean well it's a very complicated aircraft isn't it there's no two um, ways about it. It's going to take a quite a long while to get to the bottom of this, I think. Um, and it is a fascinating aircraft as well, isn't mm. it? I mean, I think there is a lot of um, love for the aircraft, um, genuinely, um, because it is it is so unique, isn't it? I mean, it's um, you know, it's sort of it's like the Harrier on steroids, isn't it? You know, where it can you know it, it can do all of the things that you want it to do. Um, you know, and, and it, you know, it, it's essentially a high crop, you know, a helicopter and an air, air, airplane, which I'm sure Armando will argue vehemently that that's not the case. But it's, uh, you know, it, it is technically a fascinating aircraft. And um, whilst its safety record is not great, I guess, um, you know, people sign up for these things knowing the risks, I guess, to be fair. Um, and it is a fascinating aircraft, isn't it? It's such a unique aircraft, and I hope yeah. that they can get to the bottom of all this and get to uh, get to sort of sort it all out, really, because it's certainly one that I don't think we should lose from the skies just because of its sheer unique, um, you know, operational, you know, capabilities. I think as well. Yes. Uh, my Micah is saying that you need to remember the V twenty two is a brand new technology, the first and only aircraft of its kind. Uh, you need to expect. That there are going to be some teething problems which is fair it is and this, oh, so the safety record of the v22 is much better than say the air force f uh 
22 fighter. Yes, that is true. I suppose if you do a like-for-like like, um, comparison. Um, yeah, it'd be, be interesting to look at the stats on, on the two aircraft there, Nev. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, now, the next one's you, Steph. Now, we always hear about uh, trying to recruit pilots into the Air Force, but also to retain them as well. It's quite an interesting story, isn't it? Sorry, unmute myself. I was trying to oh, sorry. <laughs> stealthily um, sip my soda earlier without making a lot of noise. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, we certainly um, talk about this a lot more on the commercial side of things, especially with pilot shortages, but uh, no doubt that expends, extends over to the military side of things. Um, the story from simpleflying.com headline, U.S. Air Force offering $600,000 bonus to encourage pilots to stay longer. In a bid to keep hold of its skilled pilots and address ongoing pilot shortages, the U.S. Air Force has introduced a retention bonus worth up to $600,000 U.S. dollars. The scheme will be in place until 2028 and will be in addition to a number of non-financial incentives, such as offering pilots more say in where they are based and which assignments they are given. The bonuses range from $15,000 to $50,000 per year, with the total amount dependent on aircraft type and the length of the uh, contract extension. For example, a pilot that signs up for an additional three or four years could expect to receive up to $35,000 per year in bonuses, while those agreeing to 12 years, the amount could reach uh, $50,000 per year. The scheme is primarily aimed at manned aircraft and drone pilots, combat system operators, and air battle managers, according to the Air Force Times. The offering has proven popular so far, with 210 contract extensions signed in the first 10 days. In order to fund the bonuses, the U.S. Air Force is asking Congress for a further $250 million. Speaking about the logic behind the scheme, Major General Adrian Spain, Training and Readiness Director at the U.S. Air Force, said the requirements to preserve critical skills in our Air Force has never been more important. Retra uh, retaining these professional aviators' experience and expertise is imperative in order to outpace future challenges. Other financial incentives in the pipeline include paying pilots working in remote locations, such as the Creech Air Force Base in Nevada, an additional $3,000 per year to cover the additional costs of commuting and childcare. Um, and the Air Force Times is reporting that around 21,000 pilots are needed to fully support uh, the U.S. Air Force's work, but there are currently uh, only around 19,000 across the country. Therefore, in addition to retaining its talent, initial recruitment numbers also need to be addressed. Uh, back in September of this year, the U.S. Air Force revealed that it had missed its annual target of recruiting 1,500 new pilots for the eighth year in a row. In the past 12 months, just 1,350 pilots have started their training, with a lack of pilot trainers also to blame for the shortfall. It is hoped that the non-financial incentives, such as being able to move to their preferred location, will also help to make the overall U.S. Air Force offering more attractive to prospective pilots. In order to qualify for the non-financial elements of the package, pilots must sign up for at least a four-year contract extension. So, yeah, I mean, this this kind of mimics um, or sounds very similar to what's happening on the commercial side of things with um, some of the pilot shortage stuff we've seen over the past few years. Um, on the commercial side, I'm a little more familiar with it. Um, Definitely a lot right now about bonuses, especially for direct entry captains, because there's much more of a shortage there than there is on the um, first officer side of things. Um, I'm sure that this is probably in response to some of those efforts by the airlines in this country um, 
offering qualified pilots a lot of uh, a lot in terms of bonuses if they're coming in as a qualified captain, which I uh, presume some of these uh, military pilots would meet those criteria. So, yeah, gotta everyone's got to keep up with the, you know, what's going on with the shortages. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And it's not, as you say, it's not just the commercial sector at the end of the day, isn't it? It's sort of pilots across the board is where this shortage is. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Well, that brings us to the end of the military segment of the show. Uh, so next up is the uh, winners from, well, I say last week's competition. This is going back a couple of weeks now due to various uh, things that have happened in between time. Um, the re You'll remember that the prize is 30 Seconds to Impact, which is an excellent book uh, written by Peter and Maria Burkill. Peter was, uh, if you remember, the captain on British Airways Flight 38 uh, from Beijing to Heathrow. Uh, on the 17th of January 2008 and uh, just crashed short the runway. So our question was, how was Captain Peter Burkle able to extend the glide of the aircraft so that it didn't impact the ground before the perimeter fence on runway 27 left at Heathrow? The answer is by moving the flap lever from 30 to 25, it reduced the drag of the aircraft sufficiently to clear the perimeter fence and actually just uh, landed, or crash landed to be more precise, uh, just at the threshold of runway 27 left. So uh, a very, very fortunate situation, but a, a, a brilliant piece of airmanship by both uh, members of the crew, actually, um, and resulted in nobody... Uh, losing their lives no fatalities at all wow um in fact that's the only time by the way that a uh, boeing 777 uh, has had a hull loss uh, and oh, was wow. uh, written off so there we go Gosh. no so it was the first in, one yeah yeah, yes. first <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so in the uh, the hat as you can hear a lot of correct answers an awful lot of them so i'm just going to draw one out at random well, let's see who the winner is this time round. Uh, it is John Jester, our good pilot friend. There he is. Um, so, uh, see that on the camera, just about. Uh, so, John, I'll be sending you this book off to your house in wherever you are these days in the Netherlands or the US, wherever wherever you wherever you are, and I'll uh, get that off to you. So, a brilliant job. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we haven't got a uh, quiz this week, but we'll be uh, doing one when we do our next live show. Mm, indeed. Uh, now, so we've got a bit of time left. So quick chat with Steph, first of all. So what have you been up to, Steph? We've not actually spoken to you for such a long time. I know. Um, I feel like I haven't spoken to anyone for a long time. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I've just been, I've been quite busy this year. Um, most of it comes down to... Um, uh work it's um just volume wise has been uh quite busy at the day job so you know monday through friday kind of 7 30 to 5 p.m most days and doesn't leave a lot of time for um stuff afterwards so just trying to coordinate schedules has been has been busy but um you know it wouldn't be me doing what i do without some uh travel and some races and uh, uh a few things uh in here and there where I can, can find the time for it. So um, just thinking about the fall of this past year, um, a couple of marathons. Uh, I ran uh, Berlin, 
um, kind of was only there for a, a short weekend trip, um, but had great weather for that. It was a really nice day for the race. And then a week later, um, also ran the marathon in Chicago, or two weeks later. Two weeks? I can't remember now. Um, they were quite close together anyway. And um, also completed an Ironman this year uh, in what? December. Or in, in November. Yeah. No, beginning of November. Yeah. So, Goodness me. Yeah. A little bit of, of so, training, a little bit of racing. So, so um, The Ironman was an experience, definitely. Indeed. So, so your Christmas plans are basically one large coma, essentially. Yes, uh, I have. I have no plans for this week, which is why I'm here yeah. today. Hello. At home. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Wow. Um, it's just you know, it's it's funny. It's a common question here. You know, especially as we get closer to the holidays, as it is there. I'm sure you know everyone's asking, "Oh, are you ready for Christmas? Have you finished all your shopping and your no. food planning and everything?" And usually the answer is no. But this year I could say yes. I, I have like no plans. So everything wow. has been taken care of for quite some time now so love that um yeah, yeah it's good um you know a bit of flying in there too um not quite as busy with flying this year um still flying skydivers on the weekends um we had uh it, it's funny you know uh, you talk about the pilot shortage in uh, uh on the commercial side of things in the military like we just did um kind of goes in cycles for us as well there were a couple years where we didn't have very many pilots so um I had a lot fewer free weekends, um, and this year, um, more pilots. So I think I was generally on the schedule one or two weekends a month to actually do the flying. Um, but then I, I just turned that extra free time into doing more, um, actual skydiving as well. So kind of boosted my numbers there. For sure. The I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you throw yourself out of a perfectly functioning aircraft? Uh <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, so a perfectly functioning parachute. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, while I was in in the states, by the way, I did get into a parachute jumping airplane. Yes, got into it. That that is yes. the that is the end, yes. though. Uh, yes. There's no yes. further. Did not did not take off no, in the airplane. It did not, and in many ways, I regretted not jumping out of it because it's the only time uh, during my amazing time in the states that I had a bit of a wobble about flying because it's very weird when you're in an aircraft of that type and you don't have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> Very or a door. Seat, <laughs> yeah. seat oh no, 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 there was a door. There's a door. No, 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 oh, it did have a door. Okay. Yeah, no, there's a door. Yeah, no, it was. No, it, I wasn't concerned that I was going to fall out of the aircraft. That wasn't the concern. It was more just like, you know, it's just, <laughs> just. Yes. You could have got us there, Matt. You could have. You could have staged jumping out of a, uh, a stationary aircraft on the ground. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah, no one. No one says that it has to be in flight. You can jump out of it on the ground. Yeah. It's very Rats! Crazy. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> ah. Oh, no. Steph, for those of uh, those of our listeners that don't listen to the other podcast, ah, could you um, tell us a bit about the, the the aircraft that you fly for the skydiving operations? Sure, yeah. Um, so this year, really, it's only been our um, Cessna Caravan, which has a um, engine conversion on it, which is the instead of the um, kind of standard PT6 um, Pratt & Whitney engine, uh, it has the Honeywell um TPE331, which is a 900 horsepower um, engine, which makes it quite good for skydiving operations. Um, we're basically able to get up uh, to altitude, which we uh, conduct, jump, conduct jump operations from 14,000 feet on average um, in about 14 minutes or so. Um, so it's, it's, it's really fun to fly. It's um, um, very responsive. Um, it's we we do a lot of flying and it's you know on a on a nice summer day we i think i've done 
30 loads of skydivers in one day. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, basically sunrise to actually that was the day where it was sunrise to sunset. And then we did two loads of night jumps as well. So 28 during the day and two at night I did this year. Um, lots of fun, busy, fast paced environment. Um, we also, well, we have a twin otter, which I think is not going to be around too much longer, but that was a great aircraft to, to fly as well. Um, haven't flown that one since March, but maybe I'll get to fly it one last time before it's, um, sold. But kind of reality of things, it's an older aircraft, um, you know, just cost-wise, not going to be um, as cost-effective over time, both for operational reasons and repair reasons and maintenance. Um, so I think the decision has been made to move towards just operating the caravans, which are a little bit, um, uh, they're just easier all around, more cost-effective. Hmm. That's wow. cool. So what what was your background in terms of getting trained and, and moving into doing that as a as a um a kind of uh, a job that isn't your job? A job that isn't my job. Yeah, that was um that was a product of um some of the COVID pandemic years, believe it or not. Um I know the guys kind of alluded to how much traveling I used to do or still do a fair amount of, um but certainly from probably twenty thirteen and straight through twenty twenty, um I was taking a number of international trips per year and doing a little bit of flying on the side, but that was all just for my own personal enjoyment, mostly private pilot stuff, even though I was kind of going through and getting all my ratings um, over time. So during those years, I, I'd already had my private pilot certificate. I got my instrument rating. I got my um, commercial license here, multi-engine. Um, and then I just kind of had them and wasn't doing much with them other than renting an aircraft from the local flight school occasionally and, um, going for a hundred dollar hamburger, as we call it here. Um, but 2020 came around, and all of a sudden, I wasn't traveling anywhere anymore. And um, because I was doing some skydiving as well, um, I was uh, in close contact and good friends with the folks down there. And they said, "Well, hey, you have got all these ratings. Do you want to um, at least start sitting right seat in some of the aircraft and getting familiar with our operations, and then maybe move into to doing this if you." enjoy it so that's how that came about cool yeah. so i guess you were wow. jumping out of the planes anyway so it kind of made sense that you should fly them you know it's um <laughs> i think it's not uncommon for jump pilots to have skydiving experience but every single one of our jump pilots currently has quite a bit of skydiving experience with myself probably being one of the least experienced skydivers yeah and you're quite experienced as a skydiver anyway uh i've spent a lot of time in the sport i'll say that <laughs> I think Matt's jump, mind jump is number still... wise, I don't have as many as a lot of folks, but yes. And oh, Matt's I... mind is still blown by the fact that people would not only skydive but skydive at night. Yeah, I, I have not made a night jump, but it seems like I'm usually the one flying the night jumps, so that's my excuse. <sighs> wow, wow. Apparently, it's quite easy to be kind of um, um, spooked by your shadow. I think it's someone like right there next to you in the lights. I, I mean, you know, uh, I'm I'm happy people get enjoyment from it. <laughs> what do you say i said i'm happy people other people get enjoyment from it that's yes. fine that's yeah well done you 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 do you my friend <laughs> you know, it's, it's, i think one of my favorite uh things about that job is actually because we, we do a lot of tandem uh jumps as well um is just hearing the conversations that happen in the airplane on the ride to altitude from folks who are about to do it for the first time those are always interesting to to kind of eavesdrop on and listen to how long does that normally take to get up to altitude? Uh, so in our caravan, it's about 14 minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's not a very long ride. You did already say we can that. do we can do round trips generally in about eighteen minutes, so fourteen minutes up and another four minutes back down. Wow! <laughs> so that's some pretty good uh, rate of descent on the way down there. Yes, yes, it's pretty cool. <laughs> did, did I mention cool. I enjoyed the flight that I had in with with uh, Armando in his in his lovely Cessna? That was a very pleasant experience. There was yeah. certainly no jumping out of that at eleven thousand feet. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's fun flying. I enjoy it. It's always it's one of those things. It's even though the routine is kind of the same, it's dynamic in that every single flight we do is always going to be a little bit different too. Um, we're in a pretty busy airspace, so there's a lot of coordination that happens with air traffic control, and um, you know we're basically sandwiched in between a couple of arrivals to the closest major international airport here. So we have uh-huh. to do a fair amount of communication and coordination with all of that, and and it's we have a good relationship with everybody about it. And are you, um, in terms of the actual the airspace that you're using, are you kind of flying up in a fairly tight spiral, so you're actually not deviating too far away from the from uh, the we say, I mean, we stay pretty close anyway. It's usually not a spiral just because it's not as efficient generally. Um, it, it depends a lot on what um, those arrivals that I mentioned are doing yeah. and which direction the airport is landing because they either uh-huh. land um from the south or from the north and uh if they're landing and departing to the south that's more favorable for what we do just they're farther away from where we're going to operate but if they're landing to the north then we have to um, coordinate a little bit more closely yeah that's cool yeah um may man mike is asking by the way what are the rules regarding oxygen at fourteen thousand feet how long can you be there without oxygen yeah so your pilots can be uh, above twelve thousand five hundred feet um for no more than thirty minutes and we don't actually go above fourteen so we stop right before that um above fourteen pilots have to be on oxygen above fifteen everybody has to be on oxygen wow okay so that's that's still the very that. still a very silly hobby <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very silly hobby <laughs> Well, Steph, thank you very much indeed for you know spending your time with us. Uh, oh, it's today. my pleasure. Like I say, and, you know, uh, uh, great to hear all about your what you've been up to and, and everything else. So uh, it's been marvellous to uh, speak with you again. So thank you very much indeed for, for spending your time with us. And, my thanks um, for the the invite to join you guys this evening. Yeah, it's always well, enjoyable, and I'm sorry it hasn't worked out to be here. Um, more frequently. There's uh, always next year. Well, next year. Yes. <laughs> now, speaking of next year, uh, yes. we've got a few changes happening on the yes. show, actually. Um, one of the biggest ones is going to be, well, we've, we've got, uh, this is our last live show uh, before the end of the year. So the next show you're going to get from us will be the Christmas show, and then we'll have a bit of a New Year's uh, roundup of some of the things that have happened uh, during this year. But the the next live show we do will now be on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock UK time. So that's going to be a Wednesday from now on, rather than the Friday. Various reasons for doing that, um, because of work commitments for all of us. But also, frankly speaking, at the end of the week, we're all a bit tired, um, and it's becoming a bit difficult to do it all uh, in in the timescale that we've got on a, on a Friday. So we're now going to be moving the show to a live show on Wednesdays at 7pm UK time. So uh, you have been warned. And we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll get some more listeners and viewers as well. So we'll, we'll be monitoring that, see how it Indeed. goes. And the, normal, and the normal podcast, by the way, will then be released on the Friday instead of the Sunday, basically. So we're moving it all back. Exactly right, yes. 
Uh, one other thing we've got in the diary for next year, uh, on the 1st and 2nd of March 2024, uh, we are going to be at the Mobility and Drone Summit, which is going to be at the RDS Arena in Dublin. Uh, we've been speaking to the organisers there for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, and we're going to be going there to cover some of the events that are going on there, uh, because Matt's got an interest in drones, as he has one himself, and uh, Carlos and I will be there as well. We may have a special guest joining joining us as well but if you happen to be in Dublin uh, during Friday the 1st or Saturday the 2nd of March please do come along um, and there's some uh, tickets available uh, for the show as well I think the public day is probably going to be on the Saturday from what I understand whereas the, uh, the Friday is the, is the main conference but um, yeah should be a very interesting thing and will give us plenty of content to talk about uh, in the weeks following so uh, that's on the 1st and 2nd of March 2024 at the RDS Arena in Dublin the Republic of Ireland which I'm always looking forward to going back to wherever I can find an excuse to go there so there we go absolutely um, so what else we've got to talk about Matt is that about it for I the think season? so I think so. I think I think I think that's a full house. I'm sure um, somebody will shout in our ears if we have missed something. <laughs> no, no, we're being told we're all good. Well done, everyone. <laughs> so, if you want to follow us on the social medias, of course, it's oh. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search the social media channels for Plain Talking UK. Uh, you can use our WhatsApp number to send uh, content to us or best wishes or funny things or nice pictures of aircraft to our whatsapp number which is plus 44 757 224 that's plus 44 757 224 uh, you can email the show at uh, podcast at com, and our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com have a look on youtube as well uh, we've got uh, lots of uh, content on there from previous shows and also some playlists of some of the interviews that we've been doing too also next year we'll be doing some more uh, long-form interviews hopefully as well uh, as we go through the year and we'll be talking about some of the air shows that we'll be hoping to cover as well during next year so I'll be uh, looking forward to that. Also, if you want to become a patron of the show, uh, go to our website and you'll see how you can uh, become a patron and contribute uh, to the running costs of the show. And we really appreciate all of uh, your um, efforts so far uh, to help us uh, keep going because we do have some, you know, some fairly substantial costs with media hosting costs and equipment that goes wrong occasionally and, and things like that and website costs too. So it's all, all important stuff. Uh, so, I think, uh, Nick, have you got anything more to add about what you're up to over Christmas at all? No, um, only to say, um, yeah, if people do want to email in, if they've got any interesting stories, that's always good because it's uh, uh, nice to be able to, to add in um, listener content. Um, but, yeah, and uh, thanks for everybody for listening this year. It's, yeah. been, it's been a good year. It has. It really has. Thank you very much to everyone who's been involved. It's been a, a real privilege to serve you this last 12 months. It really has. So I hope everybody has a, a very nice Christmas if you celebrate it and the New Year as well. We'll be back with the Christmas show, as I say, uh, on Christmas Day. And then we'll have a New Year's roundup. And then we'll do our first live show of the year. Uh, in 2024. I can hardly be... I'm saying 2024. In the meantime, what? I hope you have a very nice weekend and take care of yourselves. Look forward to seeing you in the new year. Bye for now.